Well, I have a question for you. Do you remember when you were a child, younger perhaps, and your parents said, okay, I'll give you one more chance. Anybody here remember that? What a relief it was when you were gonna get one more chance before you got in trouble. I love those stories and those movie scenes where the person has one last match to start the fire or has one last bullet before the bear swallows him up or, or uh, like I was watching Andy Griffith the other day because that's my go-to when I, I just need a little break, you know, come on. And uh, I, so I was watching little Opie and Opie was wanting to propose to this, he wanted to take this little girl to a party but he was scared to ask her, finally worked up the, the, the nerve and asked her three different times but she was waiting for a more popular kid than Opie to ask her and so she kept running away from him when he was trying to ask her the question. And, and finally, she realized that that most popular kid wasn't going to ask her and that she had ruined her opportunity with Opie. And, 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 and she was talking to her friend and, and, and she said, I just wish he would ask me one more time, but I'm afraid I'm out of opportunities. I don't think there's any more chances. And it just so happened as she walked out of that little room, there was Opie waiting. Uh, one, you know, walk, we walked right up to her, asked her one more time, and she just said, yes, yes, yes. And I and Opie was so happy. I, I tell you, there's something about having the opportunity and knowing there's one more chance. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got one more chance. Come on, you got, you got one more chance. You see, the Bible's full of, uh, of these stories where people got another chance. You don't have to look any further than the woman caught in adultery. And for her, her life was over. The only thing standing between her and death was a man called Jesus, who was full of mercy. They had stones in their hands ready to throw at her. It was just a matter of moments when she would no longer be alive because she had been caught in sin. And the judgment at that hour was you have to be stoned to death. And, and yet she was thrown at the feet of Jesus. And, and it was Jesus that, that gave her another chance. And, and when all the accusers dropped their stones and walked away, it was only him and her left. And he turns to her and he says, where are your accusers? She goes, I, I don't see him. He goes, that's right. They're not here. Now go and sin no more. Basically, I'm giving you another chance. I'm grateful for people that have experienced that. I'm grateful that I've had that opportunity in my life. I read stories about Jonah, no doubt when he is being spit out of the whale and lands on the sandy beaches of Nineveh, does he say to himself, I think I got one more chance. I'm grateful for that. I read about people like Paul who was thrown to the ground and sees a great light and hears a voice. Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? Why do you kick against the pricks? Why, why are you doing this? And, and he's blinded for the next three days. And I imagine as he's sitting in a room by himself, uh, thinking and contemplating about his life and and, and now what he's been seeing, how, how he's seen God and the revelation he has now of God, I imagine he was just beginning to ask the Lord, God, would you give me one more chance? Would you give me one more opportunity? And three days later, Ananias lays his hands on him and his eyes, this is like scales fell off his eyes and he could see again. I think of people like Hezekiah who was sitting there in his throne in the, of the palace and Isaiah, the prophet comes to him and says, the Lord has a word for you. The sickness 
sickness that you have is going to lead to death. Uh, and he walks out uh, and leaves the courtyard. Uh, and before Isaiah could re- meet, uh, reach the outside of the city, the Lord speaks uh, to Isaiah, turn around and go back. Why? Because Hezekiah had turned his face to the wall and said, God, give me one more chance. Uh, and Isaiah marched right back into the room where he pronounced uh, death and judgment uh, and says, the Lord's given you another chance. He's given you 15 more years. Aren't you glad we have a God who gives you another chance? I don't have to think too far and I come across a guy by the name of Peter who would, who would literally rebu- turn Jesus, uh, refuse to even acknowledge that he knew Jesus, the Messiah, in Jesus' greatest moment, in Jesus' greatest crisis. And Peter, no doubt feeling like he had failed God beyond a degree, went out and was fishing, but yet Jesus came out of the grave uh, and knew exactly where Peter would be. And he comes to the, to the sandy beach uh, where, uh, just off the shore from where Peter was fishing and Jesus begins to make breakfast for Peter and the other disciples. And when they realized that that was Jesus, they came to the shore and Jesus says to Peter, do do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was saying, I'm I'm forgiven all of the three mistakes you just made. I I want you to know I love you. I care for you. And I'm here to tell you, have some fish. I'm giving you another chance. I'm glad I, I have a God who gives me another chance. Well, we have people like Pharaoh who was given nine different chances before finally God said, that's enough. I'm letting my people go. Or the beggar who had leprosy and Jesus comes along and reaches out his hand and touches him and says, you're not gonna beg anymore. Your leprosy is gone. Or the paralytic who was let down through the ceiling and Jesus sees the faith of his friends, lays his hands on him and says, rise up and pick up your mat. Go on, leave this place because you have been given another chance. Or the lame man who was by the side of the road, given another chance. We serve a God, and you need to know this in 2021 as we close out this year, that will give you another chance. This morning, I want to talk about a guy named Levi who's familiar with this. Because I don't know about you, but I make mistakes. And sometimes the enemy wants to come to me and he wants to, to let me know that, that your mistakes are too big for God. You, you should know better. You, you, you're, you're messed up. You, you, you're disqualified. You can't be used by God. Who do you think you are? And, and the enemy comes to every single one of us. I don't care who you are. The enemy comes and he begins to try to destroy your self-identity and who you are in Christ. He tries to rip off the robe of righteousness that was given to you through Christ's death. And he tries to convince you that you have no purpose and no plan and that you've messed up so bad so many times that God can know where, the best thing you can do is just live out your life the best you can, but don't hope that God could ever use you greatly the way you had dreamed of years before. And so today I come to you and I want to talk to you you about a guy named Levi. In the book of Genesis chapter 34, let me give you the background. It's going to take me a few moments to set it up. But Abraham had been found by God to believe in God. One of the few people on the earth that would believe, that believed there's only one God. And so God, out of, out of this one man's faith in him, said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Out of all the other nations, this one little nation I'm going to make from you, Abraham, is going to believe in only one God, me, the living God. And so through Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob, God began to birth out of the ground a a nation that one day he would bring his Messiah to, who would bring deliverance to the world. 
And Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. The first four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, birthed from a lady, the wife of Jacob named Leah. And they had now, and they now had, he had more sons, eight, eight sons more. And, and now Jacob had found himself in this region where the Hivites lived. And, and it was a place where he was starting his business. He had accumulated quite a bit of livestock now. And, and he now needed to grow his family. And his sons were getting of age. And it was time to really begin to make a mark. Because what would end up happening was God was going to take every single one of his sons and make them a tribe. In other words, like a state, if you would. Like we have 50 states. Israel would have 12 states. They would have 12 tribes. Uh, and each one would trace this genealogy back to one of Jacob's sons. And so Jacob is trying to get his footing down and trying to establish the family and eventually a nation. And so they settle in this area by the Hivites. And, and, and amongst the Hivites was a, a subset, if you would, of Shechemites that was um, kind of headed by a guy by the name of Hamor. And Hamor had a son by the name of Shechem. It was a village, if you would. And outside this village was Jacob and his sons and his family and all their livestock. And they found it to be a good place to live and to raise their family and to grow their industry. They had a good relationship with the Shechemites. And, and it was a, a, a good peaceful season for them. And then... Dinah, the one daughter he had, was out, the Bible says, one day shopping. It doesn't say that, just adding that in. She's like, he grabbed the attention of the ladies in the house. And she was out doing her, you know, post-Christmas shopping and, 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 you know, all that and returning things and getting right sizes. And what if she caught the attention of Shechem and, and Shechem, the son of Amor, of the Shechemites said, man, I, I like this girl. And he stalks her, follows her around, speaks kindly to her. And next thing you know, we read that he actually defiles her. Now the Israelites, the, the people of God, the, the children of Jacob were told by God, don't intermingle with other nations because God can't afford to corrupt. He, he has to keep this nation clean because none of these other nations or peoples believe in one God. And so, and so what he did was he, he, he defiled her. And as a result, uh, listen, you don't mess with our sister. Come on, how many? I only got, listen, I only got one sister. You don't mess with her. And you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 some of you ladies in the house, you had a big brother, and somebody messed with you, you reminded them you got a big brother. Well, Dinah reminds them, I got 12 brothers. And so, but that didn't matter to Shechem. Shechem says, you know, Dad, I really want this woman to be my wife. I know I messed up and I shouldn't have done what I did, but I, I want her to be my wife. And can you go and ask Jacob for her hand? And so Jacob listens to the request by Hamor, uh, Shechem's dad, and says, you know, I, I need to get my sons in on this. And sons, what do you think? And they're like, no way, you know, this isn't going to work. And, and, and well, how come it's not going to work? Hamor says, well, because you're not circumcised. We're circumcised. We're, we're, our nation is a circumcised of all the male, the, the cutting away the foreskin of the flesh. We, we're all circumcised. That's what makes us different from everybody else in the world. And so we can't hang out with you because you're not. And so you can't have nothing to do with our daughter or our sister. And so, so, so Shechem's like, well, hey, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll get circumcised. 
I'm like, you're not going to do that. No one's going to do that. Yeah, we'll do it. Dad, won't we do it? Dad's like, all right. And they're, they're like, well, hey, listen, you can't, even if you two do, you got the whole village and we can't intermingle with you guys because you're not, you're not like us. So the whole village would, and you're not going to convince the whole village of guys to do this just because you want to marry our, our sister. And he goes, well, you watch. And he goes back and somehow, some way, he convinces the entire village to get circumcised so he can have a, a marriage with this woman. Now he did some fast talking. I don't know what he did. I don't know how much money he gave them. But they all consented. Well, actually, it was a deceiving scheme that Levi and Simeon had. Because after the third day of the entire village being circumcised, the Bible says that the men were being, they were getting healed. You know what I'm talking about. They were slow moving. They were not moving fast. And Levi and Simeon strapped a sword to their side and went in and literally took out the entire male population of Shechem. Came back with all the wives and the children and the loot and the cattle, the livestock and the sheep and proud and presented them to their father Jacob. And Jacob was like, you did what? I mean, he was, the Bible says he's livid and rightfully so. His two sons had literally wiped out an entire town through a deceitful scheme that he knew nothing about. And he went off on them and said, do you know what you've done? You've made us number one, the laughing stock of all these other nations. Uh, number two, they're going to get together and realize that they can't trust our word and that we're not a kind people. It's just a matter of days before all of them get together, unite uh, and rally themselves and come against us and wipe us out. You put our whole family and our future in jeopardy. And all Simeon and Levi could say as a result of their father's rebuke was, well, they, they deserved it. No repentance, no contrite spirit, no brokenness. They had it coming. They messed with our sister. Jacob doesn't know what to say. One of those moments probably where he, he's like, I'm beyond words. And he walks out, probably slams the tent door. In fact, the Bible says that Jacob carried his anger towards his two sons his whole life. And we read, we get a sneak picture into Jacob's moment right where he's about to die and, he, and to pass on and, and he's got all of his 12 sons gathered around him and, he, and it's that moment where he, he lays his hands on them and he prophesies a blessing over their life and imparts what he has into their spirit and to their families and to their legacy and he passes on what God has given to him but when he comes to Simeon and Levi, he looks at them and in Genesis 49, we can read it together and he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers and their swords are weapons of violence. He gathers himself in his old age and he says, let me not enter their council and let me not join their assembly. In other words, I don't even want to be around them when they're talking. I can't even be around them when they got some kind of an idea. I have nothing to do with them for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger, so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. 
everybody else who's a blessing. You'll be blessed by the coast and you'll be blessed in the mountains and you'll be blessed here and you'll be blessed there. But when it comes to those two, he goes, there's nothing to bless. You're cursed. The problem with the curse coming from a, a legacy and a patriarch such as Jacob was that it just didn't stop at the death of Levi and Simeon. It was passed on to their children and then passed on to their children's children and on to their children's children's children. And now there's this curse upon Levi and Simeon that they can't get out from underneath. They live their entire lives and now their children and their children's children with this kind of thought that all those people, those Levite guys, those Simeonite guys, they're hot heads. Uh, they're nothing but out of control predators. They're merciless people that you can't trust. Uh, stay away from them. Keep your distance. Uh, when you see a Levite coming, you can't trust. I'm telling you, they got a reputation and it's lasted for 10 generations. The entire 430 years that the Israelites are in the land of Goshen being being prospered, being prosperous by God's hand of favor in the land of Egypt they still have this cursed mentality that has been given to them by Jacob, this sense of shame. Have you ever felt that? What do you do when your life is filled with shame? And what do you do when you feel like your past overrides your future? And what do you do when your mistakes get in the way of your present life? And I just felt like today, the day after Christmas, the last Sunday before we go into the new year, that maybe we should talk a little bit and make sure that we have dealt with our past so we can embrace our future. Because we need to change some mindsets if we're gonna move ahead. And But here's the good news. God wants you to know this morning, he's here to give you one more chance. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got one more chance, baby. Come on, just go ahead and tell him, you've got one more chance. So quickly, I fast forward. So now the Israelites have grown to quite a bit of power in the land of Goshen and Egypt for 430 years. The 12 tribes have their sons and daughters and they're growing and growing and growing. And Pharaoh's like, you know, I'm a little intimidated by the powerful people of Israel, of Jacob's sons and descendants. And, and so God comes and sends rescue through Moses to get them out of Egypt. And Pharaoh's trying to make life hard for these Jewish people and they're told to make bricks, but they don't have anything to make them with other than straw. You can't make bricks with straw. They're being hurt. They're being whipped. They're being uh, treated badly because uh, Pharaoh's really wanting to, he's wanting to whittle them down or they're getting too powerful. And, but God comes through Moses and leads them out of, of Egypt and through the Red Sea. What a mighty deliverance that was. Once and for all, Israel is free from their bondage and from their past. Uh, in a sense, going through a water baptism of the Red Sea and, and here we have now, uh, two months later, God leads them to a place called Mount Sinai. And God there at the base of Mount Sinai, God calls Moses and says, I want you to come up to the top of the mountain with me and I wanna have a conversation because we're gonna need to put some boundaries and some principles in, in, in order and, and so this people can, can, can 
go forward in, in, in a way that, that is pleasing to me. And so God calls him up and Moses climbs the mountain and God's presence literally swallows the top of the mountain up where you can't see Moses. You can't see, there's nothing but this big cloud uh, and, and, and God is speaking to Moses for not one day or two days or, or three days or two weeks or three weeks, but, but 40 days Moses is up there and he's fasting, he's hearing God, he's writing down what God is saying to him on these tablets. He, he, he's, he's getting a download from God himself. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, the people of Israel are down in the valley below. And so they come to Aaron, the associate pastor, and they say, hey, look, I don't know what happened to the pastor. He's gone. He's up. He's up. We don't, no one's seen him. No one's heard from him. But here's the deal. That guy's too tough on us. And we need a little break. We need a little, I mean, I mean, seriously, thankful for Moses, thankful what he did, but you know what? This is no fun. We're too constrained. We need a, some freedom in our life. So I'll tell you what, what, what we need is our own God. Why don't, you, why don't you help us and let's make our own God and we'll make our own rules and we'll make our own life and moving forward and, you know, we'll make this thing happen. And Aaron's like, um, oh, okay, uh, yeah, okay. And a week later he is and he says, well, bring me all your golden earrings and necklaces and jewelry. And, and they did. And so he throws them, in his words, into a fire and poof, out comes a golden calf. And so God's up here talking with Moses, giving him a download and then God says, hold on a second. <laughs> I want to take you to Exodus chapter 32. Because what has happened was, <laughs> what had happened was, the people messed up. Let's look at this. Then the Lord says to Moses, okay, meeting is adjourned. We're done. You need to go down because, in this, this language, because your people, he says to Moses, whom you brought up out of Egypt to become corrupt. I mean, I, if I, <laughs> Moses is like, wait, wait, wait. My, my people, God doesn't even claim them. God's like, they're not, they're not my people no more because they've become corrupt. They have been quick. Everybody say quick. I mean, it's only been two months since the Red Sea. Two months ago, they were at the Red Sea looking and watching and, and seeing the, the enemies for 430 years of their life uh, floating on the water, drifting up onto the side of the banks. Uh, their whole past uh, was washed away two months ago, two months ago, 60 days. God says they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. And they have made themselves an idol made in the shape of a calf. Seriously? Moses looks at his tablet, the number one commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God's like, we haven't even given him the tablets yet and they've already, they've already knocked off the number one thing. And not only did, I'm your God. I brought them out, I delivered them supernaturally, I provided a 
clouds of protection by the sun. I provided, I provided a, 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 a pillar of fire at night to keep them warm. I've given, given them water at the bitter waters of Mara. I've, I'm doing all this so far. It's just two months in, and they've already thrown me to the side. And the best they can do is come up with a golden calf, which is what the Egyptians worshipped. <laughs> Because that's all they known was the Egyptian type of worship. So they're like, you know, let's, let's, let's make a worship like, like Egypt did. You know, we'll, we'll do that. And, 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 and then it gets, it gets worse. They bowed down to it. They've sacrificed to it. They've said, these are our gods, Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt? What? They're looking at the cow. They're making sacrifices and saying, this cow brought us up out of Egypt. I mean, this doesn't even make sense. And God says, I've seen these people and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone. Basically, I'm so hot right now. You don't want to be around me, Moses. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them. What an insult. And then I'm going to make you, into God's plan is I'm going to make you into a great nation. Forget these people. We're just going to do away with these three million stiff-necked knuckleheads and I'll start with you and we'll start this thing all over, Moses. Moses was like, well, hold on a sec. Can you imagine having this conversation with God? Moses goes, um, now remember, Moses hasn't been down the mountain yet. Sometimes you hear about something, how bad something is, but you haven't seen it so you don't, you're not like all upset, you know what I'm saying? Until you really see what you, did you know what the kids did at the house while you were gone on vacation? Yeah, kids are kids. Then you get home, you walk in through the door. What? Come on. So Moses, who had been down the mountain, sought the favor of the Lord and said, Lord, look, look. He turns the day. Why should your anger burn against your people, not mine, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and might? And Moses turned, went down the mountain with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. He's going down. He's going to, you know, try to smooth things out and between them and God and make sure everybody's okay and put everybody back in right relationships. He's got his two little tablets, his little principles, his little textbooks, his little guidelines. He walks down the mountain and, and when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his, his anger burned. He blows his gasket. I mean, what he sees is beyond the sky. can't imagine what he's seeing. He throws the tablets down, breaks them into pieces, and he took the calf the people had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, made the Israelites drink it. And Moses saw that the people were running wild. And then Aaron had let them get out of control and become the laughing stock of the enemy. It's chaos all around. He had left the camp. Everybody had their places where they camped. They knew where to eat, where to go to the bathroom, where to worship, where to do it. Everybody had food. Everybody had, everything was good. He goes up um, for 40 days, spends, uh, has a retreat with God, comes back, uh, and people are taking off their clothes. They're running around crazy. They're dancing. They're making music. It, went, it was like Bourbon Street on steroids at Mardi Gras time. He, he's like, this is beyond belief. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I 
cannot. How many parents have ever been there? Come on, raise your hand. You, 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 you went away. Maybe you're not a parent. But you went out of town and you came back and your dog had ripped all the pillows across the house. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Your, your, your house a mess. The people had lost their mind. And isn't it amazing how fast you can lose the boundaries? Isn't it amazing how quick you can lose your focus and your purpose? Isn't it amazing just, just a few, you miss a few service, weekend services at your church and, and suddenly you, you're not thinking like you used to think. And suddenly you feel like, a, you know, you feel a little you know, carnal maybe, a little lukewarmish, And, and you, that fire that you had is not quite what it was a few weeks ago. And, and then suddenly you find yourself kind of drifting and letting people into your life that you, you kind of walked away from and doing some things that you thought you were done with. And, and isn't, it, isn't it amazing how quick it is just to fall right back into the mess that we came out of? Am I talking to somebody this morning? Well, I tell you, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need to go to church. I mean, I, I'm fine. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to be around people. I don't, I don't, I can forsake the assembling of the saints. I, I'm different. I got my act together. Just give you some time. And you'll be dancing around with the Israelites around the golden calf. You can't control your thoughts. Uh, your focus is gone. Uh, and you just become like everybody else. Uh, but the Bible says the man of God glowing with Shekinah glory. Talking about Moses himself. We've been walking in the presence of God for 40 days. Comes down uh, and he says, you know what? Here it is. And you remember like your parents when you, they came home. And, oh, here's, here's how it's going to go. And you know, you're sitting there and you're like, because here's how it's going to go. Whoever is with me, come stand right here. And they're all looking at him and they're like, you going to go? I don't know. You going to go? I don't know. What Moses is doing, he's giving an opportunity. Listen to me carefully. You need to hear this on the last Sunday, 2021. He's given you an opportunity to step up to the plate. He's given someone an opportunity to make the thing that was wrong right again. He's actually offering one more chance. He's actually saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to say, I'm sorry and I wanna walk out of this thing that I have done. I, 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 I wanna walk out of this debauchery and this depth of sin and, and I, I realize that I went a little bit too far. I realize that I, I got caught up in the flesh and everybody else's flesh and I, I just lost myself. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I need to come to the other side at some point, church. You gotta get honest with yourself uh, and you gotta make an evaluation of where you're at. Uh, and at some point, uh, you got to say, i got to step out of that uh, in order to go to this. Uh, and i just got to take it the way it is like a man. i got to make a turnaround. i gotta, I got to turn this thing around. It may not be a big turnaround. It may be a small turnaround. But it doesn't matter how big or small the turnaround is. If you don't make the turnaround, you're going to miss the mark. Listen, we have these little GPS things on our phones, right? And drive the living daylights out of you. At least mine does. It's a woman telling me what to do all the time. 
I'm telling, I told my wife, can't we make this a guy? I'm tired of this woman telling me what to do. And, and we'll be driving, I set in my coordinates and we're going this way. And we'll be going that way. We're doing wonderful. We're doing great. Everything's wonderful. Sunshiny day, full tank of gas. We're having a wonderful time. And then, and then she goes, hey, turn around. Turn around. Make an adjustment. And I could ignore her and go, you know, who do you think you are? You're a little technical machine. I'm, I'm the driver of this. I know where I'm going. And the further, more I ignore her, the further away I get. But no matter whether it's a short turnaround or a long turnaround, I still got to make a turnaround. And so I, I, I guess I got to turn around. And so I, I put my blinker on. I look over my left shoulder. I navigate the vehicle in between another car. I get into the turning lane. I sit there and I wait. And other people think I'm going into the grocery store across. But no, baby, I'm not doing that. I'm making a turnaround because I came to a point and realized uh, I can't keep going the way I'm going. Something's got to change. Uh, and I'm making a turnaround right now. Moses is really saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. And all the peoples, all the peoples were given this opportunity. Come over here. Come right here and stand with me. If you're sorry for what you've done. And lo and behold, of all the peoples that you would have thought would not have taken him up on this. The people that were hotheads and angry and shot off the cuff all the time and all lived by their emotions so much. The people that have been cursed for 10 generations from their ancestor Levi turned to each other and said, oh, I, did, you, did you hear what he said? He said, if we're sorry about this, to come over there. I don't know about y'all, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about, I'm sorry about my, what my great, great, great grandfather did. I'm sorry about all that stuff. I, I'm tired of living under this curse, man. Do you think that this is our chance? Do you think, guys, that God's given us one more chance? God, God's given us one more opportunity? Do you think that maybe this is our moment uh, that we've been longing for all these years, uh, that maybe we can come out of this cursed life that we, and finally come into a place of favor and blessing of the Almighty God? Do you think to now, today is that opportunity? I don't know about you guys, but I think we need to take advantage uh, of this opportunity. Come on, guys. Uh, let's huddle up uh, and let's count to three and let's go across the line and let's join Moses. I'm tired of living a cursed life. I'm tired of not walking in the favor of God. I'm tired of being told I'm not a blessing. I'm tired of being reminded of my past. I'm tired of people telling me what my grandparents and my parents did. I want somebody to understand that I love God and I'm going to follow after him with all my heart. Mm. So they took a chance. So I want to give you quickly three things. What do you do when you give them one more chance? You cross the line. Exodus 32, 26. He stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, you come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Not Reuben, not the Simeonites, not the 
tribe of Judah, Naphtali, Gad, Issachar, no one else but the Levites said, I'm taking a step across the line. I'm coming to Moses. See, church, if you're gonna make a turnaround, it starts with a decision in your mind, I'm making a turnaround. It's not complicated, you just have to decide, I I don't like the direction my life is going. I, I want 2022 to be something different than 2021 and 2020 and 2019. I, I can't live that way anymore. I, I got to cross the line. I got to commit to the process. And I got to let God do in my life what he's longed to do all these years. I'm crossing the line. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but I, I got I to move forward. Number two. You gotta hide the word in your heart. Because the Bible said, Moses says to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel, he goes to each man. He goes to each man of Levi. He goes, you ready? Yes, sir. You mean this? Yes, sir. You're making a commitment to God? Yes, sir. You're sorry for what you did back there? Yes, sir. You sure about this? Yes, sir. Every one of you, if someone wants out of this line, go ahead and get out of the line. No, sir. Look at all your friends back there. They're sitting over there looking at you, calling your name, saying, look at you, you think you're somebody special. Look at all the things you've done. You're gonna, you're gonna suck up to Moses right now like somebody special? Come on, who do you think you are? No, sir, I, I don't care what they say about me. I, I'm here, sir. Yes, sir, I'm, whatever you tell me to do. He says, okay, then put your sword to your side. Get your word, can I put it in our today's language? Put your word in your heart and understand the power that you have access to on a moment by moment daily basis. That when you hide God's word in your heart, you will not sin against God because you know the right way to go. You know the right choice to make. You know the words that will cause the enemy to fall away and to run from you. You understand the power of the written principles of God and you hide it in your heart so you may not sin against your God. Pick up your sword then, guys. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But then this is the hard part. Number three, he says, I want you, let's just read it. Verse 27, chapter 32. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother, his friend, his neighbor. What? Wait, 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 wait. wait. What did you just say? No, no. See, see, you look at that and you go, what? What kind of God do we serve? Go around asking people to kill one another. You don't understand. God, 
God could not take a chance for this cancer that had showed up in the, in, the, in the body of believers called his nation, his young little nation. He couldn't take a chance that this cancer grew. He had to let people know that there is only one God. There's no cow. There's no bale. There's no golden calf that you can create that will measure up to him. He had to under, make the people understand that you're going to be pure and separated and consecrated only to one God, not a multitude of gods. And this is serious about this. God is serious about your relationship. He's serious about your life. He's serious about your calendar and your days and your friends. He's serious about the path that you take. Are you ready for this church, 2021? Are you ready to get rid of that stuff and say, I'll kill it all. I want to follow him. And so they said, okay. The Bible says they went throughout the camp and they came back with blood-stained swords. And they're probably crying. They're probably weeping. They're standing there broken. And they're crying and saying, oh God. Because you know what? There's always a price to pay when you, when you sin. When you forsake God, you, there will always be, listen to me, you, my friends, watching even from the correctional facility, you understand there's always a consequence for the play that you make uh, when you've got to understand that there's a choice, though, that God has given you even now as you're watching this on the tablets. God's given you another chance, uh, and he's saying, pick up your sword, uh, cross the line, uh, and set yourself aside from those uh, that have led you down the path of depravity and follow after your living God. So we got to close, we got to close. Worship team, come, altar, prayer team, if you would come as well. And just stand here in front. <laughs> but here's the beautiful thing. Do you know what Levi's name means? His name means to be joined together. Together with who? With God. God's plan all along was not to divide and, and see Levi separated from him. All along, God wanted and longed for Levi to be joined with him. <laughs> and what happened was so, this crossing the line was so significant that when God saw that he had a people amongst the people that were willing to lose family, friends, neighbors, whatever it took to follow after him. God says, guess what? Here's what's gonna happen, baby. I'm gonna make you a priesthood. They didn't have a priesthood up until that point. They didn't have a religion, they didn't have pastors, they didn't have shepherds, they didn't have you know, people that took care of people's lives. They didn't have people that sacrificed sacrifices on an alternate. He didn't have a priest. He didn't have anybody in the earth to do his bidding. He had no hands. God had no hands. But when he saw the Levites, listen to me, when he saw the commitment of the Levites, he says, I'm going to make you a priesthood. You're going to be unlike anybody else of all the other tribes. I'm going to speak to you and you're going to speak to them. I'm gonna move you and you're gonna move for them. And you will be the ministry in the earth until I bring my son. 
And when I bring my son, you will hand over the ministry to my son. Come on. And he will become now the new high priest. And he will die and he will come back to life and then he will turn around and hand the ministry, the priesthood, off to the church. And the church will be my priests in the earth. They will be my hands. They will be my voice. They will be my tools that I work with all throughout the communities and the lands, the nations, and the world. All because a few people decide to separate themselves to the Lord. Do you feel me, church? I just really felt like, I mean, I know this is a heavy message, but you can't close out a year and go, I need to take, without taking evaluation of your life. So I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to close your eyes. Hmm. Some of you here this morning, some of you here this morning have not have not received Christ into your life. You're here, not, you may not even know why you ended up here. And some of you may have come here and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of like that Levi guy. I need Jesus. I need to turn my life around. I need to give my life to him. I need to come out of this party, this debauchery I've been in. And so today I invite you into that relationship. So right where you're at, you say, Pastor JP, today, I'm gonna make the same decision that they made. I'm gonna give my heart to God. Right where you're at, I just wanna pray with you. But I want you to be bold enough to raise your hand right where you're at and say, man, pray with me. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. All across the room right now, raise your hand. I wanna know Jesus, yes. Come on, yes, yes, I see that hand. Anybody else, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I wanna pray with you right now. I want you to say this prayer in your heart right where you're at. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my mistakes. I commit my life to you. From this point on, use me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.